good. Thank you. Thanks, Kevin. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for coming this morning, being a part, and and I know that there are probably uh, people that's never been here before in the room because of you know whether you're here to see family for the for the holiday or whatever you are doing here. Thank you so much for coming and being a part of Cowboy Church this morning. My name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here. This is my wife, Lynette. If uh, yeah, I'm his wife, and I want to show you. I, we did a T-shirt exchange, a family T-shirt exchange, and this is my T-shirt that I got. I think I won the T-shirt exchange. I got the best one. <laughs> I, I told her. I told her this morning when I looked at the shirt. I said, I "Ought to get me one that says I'm sleeping with the pastor's wife." Stop. <laughs> this is a family service. Man. That's right. It is, isn't it? I'm sorry, kids. Anyways, that, it, was, <laughs> it, was, it was the truth. Yeah. I mean. All right, now, that was my hand off the ball. Well, all right then. <laughs> hey. <laughs> okay, have you guys ever been junkin'? Have you heard the term junking? Okay, no, there's some no's in the room. So Darren introduced me to the term junkin. He's a huge, like literally when we would go somewhere, he would want to go to the pawn shops. He would want to go to the flea markets. We went somewhere, we were on the road traveling, and he said, oh, we have to go to uh, the pawn shops here. This this town has the best pawn shops. I'm like, who knows that? Like, why? Why does anybody know that? Junkin is the term that I learned that he taught me for going to, I guess, like garage sales and flea markets and stuff like that. Yeah. You're kind of a treasure hunter. My my, <clears throat> my dad was a big swap meet guy. We, we went to the big swap meets all around there in Oklahoma. And uh, we'd go to Arkansas, we'd go different towns and stuff like that, had these big swap meets. So my dad was a big swap meet type of guy. Well, he owned a pawn shop at one time, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he owned a pawn shop. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, when he passed away in 2020, he left all his swap Treasure. meat, junk and <laughs> antique and all that kind of stuff. He, he yeah. Let, he, yeah. He, yeah, he left that to me and my brother. And I remember before he died, he would he would point out in the backyard and all this junk that's out there. He'd say, "That's your inheritance." And I'm like, "Thank you, Dad." You know, he said, "That's a million dollars worth of stuff. I'm leaving you a millionaire." Well, it's it's not a million dollars worth of stuff until you sell it. You know, right? Otherwise, right. it's just stuff. But this is something that you learned. He learned very well from his dad because. When we were, let's see, Rhett was probably, I was pregnant with Riata, our daughter, and Rhett would have probably been, he was about two years old, and we were garage sailing. And we would give, this was something that we would do, we would give Rhett like $2, and we would go to the garage sales, and Rhett would find all his little, you know, things that he said, $2 for a two-year-old at garage sales, you can come home with all kinds of stuff. Well, we were at a garage sale, and Darren found something very special. So I'm, I'm walking through, you know, and, and we were living in, we just moved into a, a house that, uh, somebody had left the yard growed up, you know, as like the last people that was there must have not owned a lawnmower. And the fact of the matter is I didn't have a lawnmower either. So we was out garage selling and stuff like that. And we stopped at this house over in Fort Collins and there was a, there was a, a push mower there, mulching push mower, um, Sears brand, the, the, uh, Craftsman brand. And uh, I looked at the price tag and it said 20 bucks. And I'm like, that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> if it runs, it's a real good deal. So I went and asked the lady, I said, uh, I said, I was looking at the lawnmower over there and I said, does it start and run? And she says, no, that's why we're selling it. It, it doesn't start. So I went over there and, you know, pulled on the string a little bit and it wasn't locked up. So I thought, I can fix this. So I went back over and I said, what's your best price on this? And she said, I don't know. I, I guess I'd take $5. <clears throat> I got $5. So I walked over to Lynette. I, I was going to the truck to get my $5. And I told Lynette, I said, you stand by that. Don't let anybody get it. I said, if, if you have to, pee on it. <laughs> and just, you know, it's our territory. Market, you know, we got to be right. territorial, territorial here. And so 
I, I paid the lady that, and I said, quick, get it in the truck. Let's get out of here. Because I know, I know if she calls her husband and says, I sold that lawnmower for $5, he's going to be hot. So, and he'll probably try to get home and get me before I get out of there. So we slammed it in the back of the truck and took off. It was, I got home, changed the spark plug in it, put some gas in it, pulled the, and it started right up. Best $5 I've ever spent. So kids right now, tell your mom and dad, I want you to take me junkin'. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, what is, uh, what is the definition of junk? The definition of junk is useless or of little value. And sometimes when, when we're, um, sometimes in this life, we, we can even look in the mirror and think that we're junk. We can think that we, we have lost value or we don't have very much value for ourselves. My dad had a, had a line that he would tell us. He would say, you know, one man's junk is another man's treasure. And that's what Elaine just said. She's beaten me to the message before I even got the message. <laughs> but one man's junk is another man's treasure. And, and what I, what we want to let you know right off the bat is that when God looks at you, he don't look at junk. He don't see you as junk. He sees you as his treasure. Right. Amen. Right. So. You know, when I thought that lawnmower was broken, it wasn't worth $5. It wasn't worth what, it, to the lady, it wasn't worth to her the, even 20 bucks, you know. And, and so we're, we're born into this world, and this world looks like it's broken. And, you know, in all, in all realness, it is. I mean, we've had to live in, in a broken world, uh, a world that is continually losing its value, so, so it seems, especially here in America, you know, here in these times of this culture or society that we live in, it's almost, you know, the, the, the value of things, the, the, the inflation of things is going up, but the value seems to be going down. Amen. Amen. And so, um, I, what I, what we wanted to do was go back and, and look at where brokenness in this earth started. So if you have your Bibles, if you would go over with us to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter 3, and, and uh, here in Genesis chapter 3, God has created the earth and created, uh, um, you know, the animals and, and created mankind and named him Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden, and he separated Adam out, and so is Adam and Eve in the Garden, and in that, in, in Genesis chapter 3, is where the serpent, <coughs> Satan, comes into the uh, into the earth, and he begins to uh, try to bring deception to God's uh, God's kids, Adam and Eve. And so, in that, <clears throat> he deceived Eve into eating of the tree of the knowledge of, uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God put two main trees in the garden. One was the tree of life, and God said, "You can eat a tree of the tree of life anytime, anywhere, any place. You can eat of that tree." But don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So the enemy, all he had to do is get them to eat of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, eat that fruit, and he could own this world. And and that's exactly what happened. So the the Bible says that um, that he deceived Eve, and she ate of the tree, and then she gave to her husband who was with her. I, you know, for years I thought that Eve was, she had wandered off. You know, it just, she had wandered off. It's, it's not usually the women that wander off. It's usually the dudes. But the fact of the matter is, is, is that's what I always thought. She wandered off and got caught alone. But she wasn't alone. The Bible says that she ate of that tree and gave it to her husband with her. So they had both gone and wandered off. And when that happened, that is the key moment of where brokenness entered into this earth. So I want to pick up the, the story here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, says that then the eyes of both of them were opened, and, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? 
like God didn't know where they were, you know. (laughs) So he said, verse 10, he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. When that happened, when, when he ate of the fruit, all of a sudden his eyes were open, the Bible says. Their eyes were open. They saw that they were naked. They had, I don't know how long it had been that they had been in the garden. I don't know how many years, how many, it could have been centuries that they were there in that, uh, in that time. But they both realized that they were naked and they, they needed to cover up. They felt the shame that came with the, the realization of being naked. Mm-hmm. And they, it says when God came and asked where they were, they began, they hid themselves because why? Because he, Adam, was afraid. There was fear that entered in. They had never felt fear before. They had never seen fear before. They had never experienced the shame that comes along with fear. And as her and I were putting this message together, um, you know, I started thinking, what kind of feelings did Adam have at that moment? Because we all know what it feels like when we do something wrong, when we, when we, um, get put into that place where we're confronted with wrongdoing. And for men, I think for men, it's really easy for us when we're afraid to feel anger, to feel that, that sense of anger. You know, it's like, you know, uh, I, I, we've got a little red healer and that dog, when you, when she gets hurt, she lashes out. <laughs> and that's the way a lot of times men are. We get hurt. We get afraid. We, we feel fear. And all of a sudden we begin to lash out. We begin to um, focus inwardly. I, if, if somebody jumps out and scares me, you know, hides behind the wall and scares me, I'm swinging. I did most it of, once. <laughs> most of the time I'm swinging, I'm kicking because, because there is a inward focus of fear and that are, are, we get inward focused and anger can come out. Uh, frustration can come out. Sarcasm can come out. You know, when we, when we feel that way, men, there's a lot of times that we do that. We, we lash outwardly because of an inward feeling of shame, an inward feeling of fear. And, and so, um, you know, in, when we have relationships around us and, and we feel that fear in those relationships, we fear that it will never be the same. Lynette and I don't fight because I know better. I've, I've, I've seen I've seen her kick the heavy bag in the gym, and I ain't gonna mess with her. You know? But you know the thing about it is when we we don't really fight a whole lot. When we've had disagreements over the years, the things get a little tense around the house. Um, there there is a a feeling that our relationship, if we get past this moment, our relationship probably will never be the same. And have you ever felt that? I mean, it, it can come with your spouse. It can come with your best friend. It can come with any kind of relationship that we we feel like it will never be the same. Right. And so um, when, when we look at Adam and what he felt during that time, we can begin to understand how the brokenness that, that he, that fear brought into the world, how brokenness begins to affect us. Right. And and so that's where it all started. In verse 11, Genesis chapter 3, 11, it says, And he said, Who told you? God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat of? Right. And it's interesting that you said that. When God asks a question, this is interesting to note that when God asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer. Right. If you've gone to church here for any time, you've heard me say that before. But when God asks a question, it's because he's wanting you to stop and he's wanting you to recognize when he said, where are you? He was wanting Adam and Eve to recognize where they were. They had separated themselves. And it's not because God didn't know where they were. So when God asked them, who told you? He's not asking because he's like, oh my gosh, what has happened here? I don't, I don't even know. Who told you this? He's asking them the question because he's saying, whose voice are you listening to? Because it's not mine. So God's asking them that question because he's wanting them to realize I'm listening to something and I'm being led by something other than God. And so he goes on then in uh, verse 12, 
And it says, the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord, do what? Smart fella. Yeah, smart fella. (laughs) She gave me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And I want to, sometimes we can like, okay, I'm just going to tell for whatever reason, our golden retriever, if things are not perfectly normal, she, she's not normal. (laughs) She's not normal. (laughs) So our golden, if you have secret dog training tips and you can let me know, then uh, come see me after service. She, uh, when things are not normal, she finds it her business to do her business in the house. I don't know why. So we say to her, look, Darren asked me, he goes, did you tell her no before you cleaned it up? And I was like, well, I heard that they don't even get it. If you like, if you don't catch them in the act, they don't even know what you're doing. So (laughs) the other morning she did it. And so I called her in there and Darren was telling her, what did you do? What did you do? And when he's saying that to her, she squints her eyes like this and she grins. She she smiles and she squints her eyes at him and her tail is just going everywhere. Her whole body is wagging. So anyway, if we change the narrative, the, um, the direction of the question, when God says, what did you do to the woman? He's not saying it from the place of, You worthless, terrible woman. What did you do? He's asking her from the place of my heart is broken and I'm feeling the separation from you already. What did you do? What did you do? He's asking it from a place of deep feeling of separation from her. And so Eve, if we think of the feelings that Eve was having in this moment, God, if we come from the place that God is love, when God asked this question, he wasn't scolding her. He was asking from a position of love. And when he asked this question, the man, the only other human being that she has known and walked with has just got done saying to her, uh, in front of God, oh, well, I don't know. I don't, it was, it was her. It was her. Like standing like this with his hands back. And for the first time, woman feels what it's like to be betrayed. She feels what it's like to be completely and totally alone because man is standing there like this. He's like, I don't don't even know. I don't even know. Yeah. (laughs) So have you ever heard the term being run over by the bus? There was like an audible that resonated throughout all of creation at that moment. Like all the animals stopped and heard the of the bus over the woman at that moment. And so Eve had to be feeling afraid. If we put ourselves in her position, she had to be feeling afraid because the only person she had ever walked with was standing, pointing a finger at her. She had to feel completely alone. She felt lied about. She felt unsafe. She felt helpless. She felt hurt because in that very moment, All of the perfection and all of the beauty that they had known. This was their existence. Everything that they needed, everything that they desired was perfectly provided for. And they walked in oneness with God. And in that moment, everything that they had known, everything that had been their life to that point, all of the perfection was suddenly lost. And everything had changed. And all they could see from that point was loss and destruction All they could see was the decay had already started. They could feel it in their body. And at that moment, they knew that things were broken. That's, that is where brokenness comes in. That is where it entered in. And that's where mankind began to respond to brokenness. So many times we, like I said before, you know, we'll look in the mirror Especially whenever we, um, whenever we've done something wrong or we feel the weight of, of the wrong that, that we do. And it's easy to look in the mirror and see junk. It's easy to, 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 to see and think that God sees us as junk. We see ourselves as junk. We think that other people, you know, who have, uh, pointed the finger at us and told us how 
worthless and how not good we are. And we can hear that. And sometimes when we hear that, we can start believing that. And we look in the mirror and you, you know, you just say, you know, how can, how can I be who I am? How can I walk the way that I walk and God be proud of me? And, and, but the, here, the fact of the matter is, is that God don't see junk. He sees the potential of, of, of who you really are. Mm. And even though, I mean, even though Adam, you know, he came in, into the garden and called for Adam and says, where are you? God knew where he was. God knows where you are. And he still wants to be with you. He wants to be with you and, and walk with you in spite of what you think about yourself. Right. And so we live in this world of brokenness, but I want you to understand God has a plan. Look at the person sitting next to you and say, God has a plan. <laughs> so all of, all of you who came today to hear the Christmas story, um, you may, you may be thinking, well, they start, what, what are we doing starting off in Genesis? Well, fast forward, if you will, to Matthew chapter one. What you came for today, you're going to hear a little bit of it. Amen? Amen. So fast forward to Matthew chapter 1, and we're going to talk about a guy in Matthew chapter 1 named Joseph. You ever heard of Joseph? Joseph was Jesus' dad, his, his dad on this earth. We know that, that Jesus' father was the heavenly father, but Joseph was the man who raised Jesus. And here in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 is where I want to go. It says here in verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed or engaged to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make, <clears throat> not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away or divorce her secretly. But while she thought about these things, behold, I'm sorry, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you, take to you, marry you to be your wife or to, to, let me start over to take to you, marry your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The the, the, the key words that stick out there, I mean, Joseph thinks that his wife, you know, he hadn't been with her yet, and and so she all of a sudden comes up pregnant. And there, there's a thing on the inside of it that says he's a just man, so he's not going to make a public spectacle of her, so he's going to do it privately. That's when the angel shows up and he says to, says to Joseph, son, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. What happened way back in the Garden of Eden with Adam? It said that he was afraid. He was afraid. Here the angel is telling Joseph, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. <clears throat> the very thing that, that, that Adam said was, I was afraid and so I hid. Adam didn't take the responsibility of, of his actions and accused Eve to God. He, he accused Eve not only uh, to God, but he accused God to Eve. I mean, how much worse can you get? Not only saying it's the woman... That you gave me. I mean, he accuses Eve. He accuses God. This is a this is a major bus running major, through the Garden yeah. of Eden. You know, it's like one of those multiple like train type buses. Boom, 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 boom. I mean, he is hitting multiple people with his fear. So, so Adam didn't take responsibility. But here we're looking at the angel talking to Joseph, and he tells him not to be afraid. And Joseph, in that moment, covered Mary. He covered, he protected her. He didn't blame her. He, he took the responsibility that even, he didn't even make the mistake, but he took the responsibility for what seemed or what could be a mistake to other people, what they see in, with his wife, Mary. Adam in the Garden of Eden shifted the blame, but Joseph here was willing to take the blame 
for something he didn't even do. Mm-hmm. He was, I, I can't imagine the names that was called uh, Mary. I can't imagine the names that was called Joseph. I mean, he didn't say whether he did the deed or not. He just, he just took for himself because an angel of the Lord told him not to be afraid. He said, all right, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to take this responsibility. And this is interesting really quick here. The angel of the Lord said, don't be afraid. Again, if we switch the narrative to a narrative of love, Joseph knew Mary. And Joseph knew Mary was a righteous woman, that she was highly favored, that she was blessed, that she was a woman that worshiped the Lord. So when the angel says to Joseph, don't be afraid, he didn't say to him, don't be angry with her, forgive her. The angel said, don't be afraid. So Joseph wasn't in a position of accusing Mary. If we switch the narrative to love, Joseph wasn't in a position of accusing Mary. He was in a position of being fearful of the responsibility of what now lays on him. So go ahead. In this season that we're in, I've heard so many ministers, excuse me, so many ministers at this moment, at this, this year talking about Joseph. We don't have much narrative on Joseph in the Bible. A lot of it you have to assume, but you can assume even in today's time when, when, when somebody becomes pregnant or ends up pregnant, um, outside of marriage, it, it, it is a, it is a thing. It, there is a, uh, stigma. Yeah, stigma that happens. And so much more in this day and time, so much more in the time that Joseph grew up in, so much more for the time that they grew up in and being of the religion and the culture that they were in of the Jews. It was strong, strong, uh, uh, stigma. You were an outcast. Yeah, yeah. So Adam, um, Adam back in the garden was afraid and, and was separated from God. But Joseph, he would have had to press past the fear and press into God to protect and to raise Jesus when he was born. We were watching the movie that, or the, the series, The Chosen last night. Have y'all seen The Chosen? If you haven't seen The Chosen, watch The Chosen. It is so good. But it's a, they, they told the story, this particular episode we watched last night told the story of Joseph. I didn't even have any idea that that's what they were going to do. And they told the story of Joseph and and how Joseph raised Jesus. How would you like to raise Jesus? I mean, he's, you got the total responsibility of teaching him the word of God, even though he is the word of God. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing about it is, is you have to be, you, I'm talking to you men, you have to be in a place where you can be vulnerable with your kids and, and if you mess up, which you will mess up in front of them, to go to them and, and, and ask them for forgiveness or to say you're sorry to them. That, that is, that is something. Uh, I'm sure that Joseph was really, I mean, his kid doesn't even mess up. And he does. You know, he has a, a lot of apologies going on around there. Right. That he right. has to apologize to his kid. But, but Joseph, when, when we begin to dig into this and press into these characters here, Joseph and Mary especially, Joseph was the restoration for what happened in the garden to Adam. Where, where, where Adam was afraid, Joseph had the perfect opportunity to be afraid, but the angel told him not to. So he, he manned up in that, in that moment, uh, during those years of raising Jesus. Uh, Joseph was the restoration of Adam as much as Mary was a restoration of Eve. Right. So if you want to, you can flip over to Luke. I'm going to read out of the Passion Translation. And I love this account that we're given here because Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 28, says this, that Gabriel appeared to her, Mary, and said, Grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you, and so you are anointed with great favor. So that lets us know that Mary's character was known. So God says that you're anointed with great favor. Verse 29, Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift 
you will become pregnant with a baby boy and you are to name him Jesus. And Mary said, how can this happen? On to verse 35, Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you and almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. So we see the restoration that took place from Adam to Joseph. And what is amazing to me is how detailed God is in his restoration as well from Eve to Mary. So if you look in the garden, the garden tells us that Eve was afraid with the man and that they hid themselves. Gabriel tells Mary, don't give in to your fear. And as the woman was left uncovered and felt alone and afraid, the scripture tells us that here God comes and covers her with a cloud of glory and covers the woman, Mary, where Eve was left uncovered. Then we see where Eve was left uncovered by Adam and not safe. God covers Mary with his shadow and his presence and restores that to her. God begins. This is what is so amazing to me. We don't have time to go into every little detail in this, but as you're led to go and look at it, but it's amazing to me how much restoration God brings before Jesus ever takes his first breath on this earth. God begins the restoration process all the way back in the garden when he promises a savior to come through the woman. So then further on, Eve was separated from God when she hid and they sewed things to cover themselves. But the Bible tells us here that God is going to bless the woman by placing the Messiah on the inside of her. So where Eve was separated from God, now not only is Mary joined with him and restored to him, but Mary is restored to him in such a way that there is actually absolutely no distance between her and God at all because God is placing his very character and the nature of who he is through Jesus Christ on the inside of woman. God God could have birthed him. God could have placed Jesus on the earth in any way that he wanted to. But God chose, because he's so mindful of restoration, God chose to place his son on the inside of a woman to restore the brokenness that woman experienced in the garden. That he would say, I'm not willing that you would feel broken any longer because I'm going to place my son on the inside of you. And I would like to just propose this little thought. I'm not going to go into it, but just a thought that could it be that Mary's willingness to say yes to him, to say, yes, I'm willing to be the carrier of your spirit, of your son on the inside of me, that it was Mary's yes that then opened the door that every person then later on that would ask would be able to carry the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. Just a supposition for you today. So he goes on Luke, uh, verse one, verse 38. He says, then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her where Eve was deceived by the serpent. And the serpent said to her, has God really said Mary steps up and says, let it be to me according to your word. There was no question about what God was saying. Mary took a hold of the words that the angel said to her, and she said, let it be to me according to your word. That word according is such a cool word. It isn't just according. The word according in the Greek actually means from a higher place to a lower place. It has a direction. Let it be to me, Mary says, from the higher place where this truth is coming from, because Mary knew her experience as a young woman that she had not been with a man. So the experience that she knew to be true for herself, she said, the truth that you are speaking to me from a higher place, I am receiving that truth above my own experience. She demonstrates for us how to make the word of God higher than our own experience. And God restores that to her. Colossians one twenty seven says this. <clears throat> Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us. <coughs> excuse me. 
becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. And God wants everyone to know it. God established in Mary Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what does that mean for us? For us, you know, um, for us, we can take an inventory on the inside of us so many times of what, what is it that feels broken in us? What, what is it in us that feels like junk? <coughs> what is it that feels like junk? You know, there's, um, situations too far gone for us that couldn't, that we feel like could never be fixed, could never be repaired, will never be the same again. <clears throat> so many times we deal with so many different situations in our marriage. We deal with our careers, our friendships, our, our you know, for you students in here, the kids in here. Uh, you, you deal with that at, at school, the relationships you have at school, the, the teachers and the other students. We, we deal with those things and the, it leaves an inventory of what we can begin to look at as junk in our lives or to cause us to be junk because of these things coming up in our lives. And so the, the world feels broken, but God has a plan. And his plan is about restoration. And Joseph had a plan. He had this plan when, when the angel showed up and said that, that you know, uh, your, your wife Mary is pregnant and it's not yours. He had a plan. He was going to put her away. He was going to divorce her. And, and you know, he wasn't going to make a public spectacle of it, but he was going to do it in private. He was still going to divorce her. He still had a plan, but God had a better plan for him. God had a better plan. Even though Joseph felt completely inadequate yeah. and not qualified to do that, God saw that he could use him and had a plan for that. And, and... You know, Mary, what Lynette pointed out is Mary had the word of God. She said, I will trust your word, God. But Joseph had a path. Mm -hmm. That's so many times who we are. We not only have the word of God living on the inside of us, we have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Just like God gave Mary to, to birth the word of God, she carried the word of God on the inside of her. A lot of times... We also have a path of the Word of God that we have to walk out. Joseph did not, obviously, Joseph was not pregnant with the Word of God. But he had a path to walk out. And so it's as important to, it's as important to us to not only have the Word of God on the inside of us, be impregnated with the Word of God, but it's also important for us to walk that path out and trust God along that path. Amen? Yeah. <clears throat> Joseph had to walk that out for the rest of his life because it was Mary that gave birth to Jesus. Now he's got to, he's got to be a father to Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's one taking the responsibility to teach him the word of God, even though he was the word of God. Yeah. Uh, it, it is such a, a mind bender to, to imagine that. I mean, we all got kids that mess up. He didn't. He didn't have a kid that messed up. But it was still his job to teach um, teach him not only uh, the skill that God had given Joseph as a carpenter, he, he still had to teach him not only that, but he still had to teach him the Word of God. Amen? Yeah. So what seems broken to us and beyond repair what seems like junk that is not worth anything, we have to trust God with it. God has a better plan. Yeah. Say that to your neighbor again. God has a better plan. We may not understand what that better plan is, but it is for us to walk out what we do know about that plan. We have to do that. And we have sometimes that is such a mystery. The, the mystery, I, I love the mystery of God. Because you, it requires us to trust and have faith in who he is. And sometimes we have to live our lives in the mystery, just trusting him that it all work out. Well, when we look at what Jesus did in his lifetime, Joseph had to trust and know that God would, would do what he's walking out in Jesus' life. Right. 
So where is it that we need to put our trust? Uh, where is it that, that we need to allow God's hands into our life? What junk are you holding on to? And what do you need to do to trust God with your junk? I mean, every one of us can, can go through an inventory list and say, I know what junk is. I, I know what junk I deal with. <clears throat> do you deal with unforgiveness? Do you deal with bitterness? Do you deal with, with uh, addiction? Do you deal with um, anger, uh, anger, fear, fear, jealousy? Jealousy. So I'm just repeating everything she said <laughs> because I'll get it right. <laughs> So we, we have all those, we have all those things we deal with and all those things bring an emotion of having junk in our lives, but we have to give it to God. We have to trust him with it. Amen. And just because we feel junk doesn't mean we are junk. That's right. Yeah. And when we trust in God, just the way Mary and Joseph did, there is an opportunity for God to create the treasure that he sees in you. Man, that is so good. The treasure that he sees in you, the potential he sees in you, that's that's exactly what we need to, to trust in him. One man's junk is another man's treasure. The scriptures say that, that he gives us beauty for ashes. He he is when we are weak, he is strong. Mm-hmm. It's those things like that that we've got to trust. We've got to know that God is strong in the midst of our weakness. That, that when we see ashes, he sees beauty. That is, that is so uh, awesome of who he is. Amen. So we live in this world of brokenness, but God has a plan to fix it. And it's called a plan of restoration for our lives. That plan of restoration for our lives that we live in, after Mary and Joseph redeemed, were, allowed themselves to be the, the redemption of what Adam and Eve messed up. Then they gave birth to the potential. And that potential is Jesus. Jesus is the one that is the plan of restoration. Jesus is the restorer of all things. Amen? And, you know, back in back in the Old Testament, there's so many prophecies that prophesy of Jesus to come. Uh, that he would that he would be born. And those prophecies point to his birth and what he would do. And one of those prophecies that, that, that God pointed to Jesus is found in Isaiah chapter 58, verse 12. <clears throat> says, those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up a foundation of many generations, and you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. When you look at those verses, those verses, the repairer of the breach is all capitalized. He's not talking to a man. He's talking about a man. His son, Jesus. He is the repairer of the breach. He is the restorer of streets to to dwell in. He is the restoration. And restoration came at a high cost. Such a high cost. You know, God was willing to give everything that he had for us to be able to walk in that restoration. That is so cool. He get, it cost him everything. <clears throat> For God, it cost him his very best, but he was willing to make that sacrifice for our junk. He's not looking for a bargain on junk. He'll, t- he'll pay top dollar for junk. He's not going in and saying, I'll pay $5 for that when it was worth 20 you know. He's not looking for that. He looks at you and says, that is a treasure that I'll spend everything I got. I'll spend my only begotten son on that. Each one of you, he did that. If you were the only person walking on this planet, he still would have sent his son Jesus to die for you. Because he believes in your potential that much that he would give you his very best. That's where we love the scripture that whether you've been in church for any time or not, if you've watched a football game on TV or if you followed Tim Tebow at all, then you saw the scripture of John 3.16. And it's the most beautiful scripture when we're talking about things that seem lost and broken because John 3.16 starts out and it says, For God so loved the world, and the world is broken 
The world is messed up. The world is not perfect. The world has things that are wrong and the world makes mistakes and the world does things that seemingly destroy. But the Bible tells us very simply that God so loved the world. What that says is that God loves the broken. God loves the brokenhearted. God loves the things that seem beyond repair. Because it goes on and says that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever would believe in him should not perish, would not stay broken, would not be destroyed, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God doesn't look at your junk and accuse you with your junk. God doesn't look at our brokenness and use it as a reason to separate himself from us and to judge us harshly. He says that he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That the world through him might become his treasure. And that's God's whole point with Jesus, is he sent Jesus to demonstrate to us his heart, to show us who God is in the flesh. And so this morning, we want to take a moment out of all of the busyness to center in right here. And if for you, centering in is closing your eyes and close your eyes. But the way that we've come to think about it is if we close our eyes and we tell people, you know, with every head bowed and every eye closed, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it came to me at a certain point where I felt like that makes it feel like it's supposed to be secret or that it's something that we're supposed to kind of hide or keep quiet. So I do want to make the invitation this morning with every eye looking around and with every head up. This is not something that we're supposed to be secretive about or something that we have to keep quiet or something that we should keep hidden. If this morning, number one, if you are a person that you call yourself a Christian, but you feel like I feel like the junk in the world and in my heart has gotten in the way between me and my relationship with God. And this morning I want to get rid of the junk and I want to be restored in that closeness with God because God never walked away from you. It's us that puts that distance between God. God came to Adam and Eve in the garden. God didn't run from them. So the same way, if you feel like you put any distance between you and God this morning, God is saying, I'm coming for you. I'm coming for you. So if you need to just turn around and say, God, I don't want any distance between us. Whatever the junk is that was separating me, I'm choosing to turn and make myself one with you and to feel that closeness with you again. But secondly, if you've never on your own made your personal decision to say, I am taking a hold of Jesus Christ as the savior of my life. I am taking a hold of that salvation. I'm taking a hold of a new start for me. I want to say this. It doesn't matter what your parents' religion is. It doesn't matter what your best friend's religion is. It's your personal choice. This is the one thing you have complete and total control over and one thing that you have complete and total responsibility over. And that's your relationship with God through Jesus. So on those two things, if you need to make that closeness between you and God in your heart again, or if you need to take hold of Jesus Christ as your personal savior, I want to invite you with everybody looking around and for you to be bold and to raise your hand and shoot it up as high as you can right now. If that's you, go ahead and raise your hand in the air this morning. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, you never do it alone. You always have people that are doing it with you. Let's celebrate that with them. Whether you're returning home or whether you're making your home for the very first time, God says that there's literally a party in heaven taking place for you this morning. So I'm going to ask right now if the members of our prayer team would go ahead and come up here to the front. If you would go ahead and get up out of your seats right now, come to the front. We have an amazing prayer team. Usually there's nobody moving on the prayer team. <laughs> prayer team, anybody that's here that's on the prayer team, if you would go ahead and come to the front right now. Um, 
we have people that are here not to judge you. It doesn't matter where you've been, if this is your first time at church or if you've been a thousand steps away from God, one step puts you right back in fellowship with him. This prayer team is up here. If you want to get up right now and come and talk to them, do. But when we dismiss, they're going to stick around and they're going to be up here to pray with you. They're going to be up here to agree with you if you're going through anything difficult in your life. They're people who know the word of God and love to pray with you. So you're welcome to come on up here right now if you would like to. Um, we want to let you know that next week, Darren is going to be up here and he's going to be preaching a message, a great way to kick off the new year. It's going to be um, a message to help us get inspired to start 2024. He hopes so. <laughs> Coming up this Thursday, uh, Travis, if you, Travis, would you just raise your hand? Travis leads our Vet Connect ministry. And if you would like to come and join that on Thursday, or if you have any questions, come and talk to Travis. He's here to speak with. And then on Friday night, we're going to have our prayer and encounter night. It's a night that the church is open for you to come. If you need just a place to be quiet, to be still, because the world is loud and busy. So if you just want to come and be still, there's people here that will pray with you. You can just come chill out in the auditorium and just be still and quiet for a while if you like. So that's here for you on Friday night as well. And then, uh, as I said, our prayer team is up here. They're the most amazing people. If you just want to come up and say, hey, I really like your sweater. <laughs> Do. They just love to love on people. They're really good at it. And uh, if you've never been here before, we, uh, from the time we started the church, we've never felt like it was our place to pass a plate in front of people and try to pressure people to give. Your giving and your tithing is a form of worship to God. We believe that's very personal. So we put a place at the back of the auditorium right back here that you can uh, do your tithes and offerings there, or you can go online to n3c.church and do that as well. And I think, I thank you, Miss Elise. I want to say thank you so much to our amazing media and sound team every week. They have such an amazing ministry. If I'll say this too, if you're a person who wants to serve, but you're like, I want to serve, but I don't want to be up close and personal with people, that right there is the introvert's dream. It's the best place to serve. And literally, I want to say this, your ministry, what you guys do up there is an evangelistic ministry. Because your ministry takes the word of God outside the church walls and makes it possible for people all over the world to be able to connect with God. And I'm so thankful for your evangelistic ministry that you do every week. Thank you. Thank you. So I want to invite you guys, go ahead and stand to your feet. And I feel like I want to invite you to raise your... Oh, Kelsey and Cole, hi, you guys. <laughs> go ahead and just raise your hands up really high. Get a good stretch. Take a deep breath in again. Father, I thank you for all of your goodness, all of your love, and everything that you pour out on us, and that you do it with an unlimited measure. We are loved, and we take hold of your love, and we will go out and spread it and be nice and, and love. And what? We ain't junk. And we ain't junk. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.